Lord. That was awesome. And it goes right with the message here tonight. I was mentioning to you this morning that my daughter's asked me lots of good questions lately about eternity. And one of the questions was, how could God make hell? How could God do that? And I said, the better question is, how could God send his only begotten son to die for our sins, undeserving as we are, so we wouldn't have to go to hell? Uh, of course, of course, there's a hell because God's just, he has to punish sin, but how could God send his son? How could he make a way for us to be forgiven? Unbelievable. And tonight we get to an application in first Peter that the apostle Peter, the aged Peter has been building up to, and he has talked about where we are in Christ. If you look at verse number 13, number 13, it says, wherefore, that's the beginning of our text verse tonight. Wherefore means for which reason? It means that because of what has just been said, we make this conclusion. So whenever you get to a verse that says wherefore, make sure you really understand what's come before then so you really understand why you're going to want to pay attention to what comes after the wherefore. And so what has Peter talked about so far, an inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so far he has talked about how we as members of the church being saved people our elect of God, we're sanctified by the Spirit, saved by the blood of Jesus. Uh, the, there's an inheritance in verse 4, reserved in heaven for us. We're kept by the power of God, verse 5. Temptations are going to be heavy, and they are, but they bring about stronger faith, so we've learned about that. We will receive rewards for our faith, the details of our salvation. The prophets have diligently searched and inquired over, we saw this morning, now have been revealed to us, Jesus Christ, the gospel. The apostles have preached in the power of the Holy Spirit, the gospel, the fulfillment of those prophecies in Christ. And what we have, the, the angels, okay, earnestly desire to look into. And so because of all that, wherefore, verse number 13, because of that, because of who you are, what you have in Christ, you're kept by the power of God. For that reason, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and hope to the end for the grace that's to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. He's saying because of all of that, because of what God has done for you. And am I cutting out again? Care, am I cutting out? Okay. Uh, uh, because of what God has done for you and who you are in Christ, you should be different. You should be different right now. Now, we know you are different. You're in Christ. You're forgiven. You're a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. God is working on you every day, sanctification, making you more like Jesus. But your lifestyle should be different than people who don't have Christ. Now, Peter's writing to first century church. He's writing to people who are going through persecution and hard times and it is pretty much a death sentence in many parts of the world. If you are going to be a wide open Christian, this is probably the very beginning of Nero's persecution. There was heaviness, manifold temptations there and coming. And he said, still, you should be different. You should be holy. A lot of times in our churches today, I say our churches and just general churches today, buildings with the word church on the door it's really almost mocked, I think, in our, in our culture, maybe our lukewarm church culture, to say that you should be holy before a holy God. In other words, your lifestyle should be different. There's some things that a Christian just shouldn't do. And somebody would say, yes, but we're under grace, and we are. 
And yet we should, because of that, with a heart for God, want to live for God. You know, as a Christian, there are some things that I just shouldn't do. There are some places that I shouldn't go. The things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. How many of you know that song? The things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. The things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. There's been a great change since I've been born again. There's been a great change. And there should be a change when you get born again, when you get saved. There's some places that I shouldn't go. There's some things on TV and on movies and Netflix and Hulu and Amazon and on Disney and whatever else you might have at home, or maybe you still have cable, whatever that is. There's some things that you just shouldn't turn on. Uh, There are some words that you shouldn't say. There are some people, okay, that you shouldn't hang out with. Now, you want to reach everybody, but I'm talking about fellowship. That song, Yield Not to Temptation, that was chosen on purpose because back maybe several years ago, 100 years ago, I don't know, but it was taken for granted that if you got saved, your life changed. But today, that's sort of mocked by the uh, some uh, contemporary big mega churches type where it's just user-friendly, we just want to cater to people come as you are, leave as you came. And I think you should reach people and I think you should be accessible to everybody and you should be user-friendly all while maintaining what the Bible says in all areas, including this area right here on personal holiness. I like preaching through the Bible because I can't avoid anything. And this is one thing that people might like to not hear, uh, but this is something that we all need to remind ourselves of, that we should be separated unto the Lord in our lifestyle as Christians. Tonight, I'd like you to see the Christian's call to separation. Number one in your notes, if you're filling out the blanks, a call to sobriety. A call to sobriety. Look at verse 13. Wherefore, because of all this, because it's all been done, you're forgiven, you've got the inheritance, kept by the power of God, you are in Christ. Because of that reason, gird up the loins of, of your mind. Now, wait just a second. We've got to understand, what does that mean? Gird up the loins of your mind. Well, to gird up the loins in the Bible was this. Men would wear robes. How many of you are thankful we don't wear robes anymore? Men, uh, if I see a kilt on a man, I get a little nervous, but I'm glad that we have a a hole for each leg now. And uh, anyways, but back, that's just a cultural thing. But back then, uh, they had the robes. And whenever they wanted to do something uh, that required some uh, some exertion, or if they wanted to run, or if they needed to fight, they would gird up the loins. Now, I don't know exactly how that would look, but they had a belt around their robes, and they would put all the flaps under that belt, then they would fasten that belt real tight so that as they worked, or as they fought, or as they ran, the robes wouldn't get in the way. Those flaps, those extra little things all around, they would step on it, they'd trip, somebody could grab it if they were fighting. In uh, 1 Kings 18.46, in your notes, The hand of the Lord was on Elijah and he girded up his loins and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. And that was a miracle how fast and how far he ran. But the way he was able to do that is because, okay, I'm going to run. I got a long way to run. I'm going to go super fast. I've got to gird up my loins. Now to gird up the loins of your mind then, it's obviously symbolic. But if you can imagine your mind, there are so many things that can distract us. There are so many, I mean, I sit down, how many of you understand when you sit down to pray, the loins of your mind need to be girded up, right? There's so many things you could be thinking about, distractions. I sit down to, to study a sermon and that's why I keep a pad of paper beside me because all these things will enter my mind 
And sometimes there are things that I believe the Lord might want me to address, people to reach out to or people to pray for, whatever. But sometimes they're just distractions. They are. And your phone, man, oh man, what a distracting device. There's always something to do on that phone. I was uh, reading about this, this uh, messaging system that we, that we subscribe to now. And as a pitch to, to buy into this system, it said that 90% of people will check a text message, but only 30% check an email or something. And it said nine out of 10 people will check their phone all day just in case a text message came through, just in case there's somebody that wanted me or wanted, and they don't wanna miss anything. You've got the alerts on your phone and you've got Facebook or whatever you might like to, to look at on there. There are so many things that could distract you. On top of that, as just life goals, uh, as, a, as a student, there's so many things that can distract you. As a young parent, there's so many things. What kind of school are my kids gonna get into or, or uh, what am I gonna do for my career now or what kind of house are we gonna live in? Where's this next house? And there's just so many things. I wanna get that promotion. I wanna be comfortable. I wanna be recognized. There's so many things that could be in our mind, but as Christians now, as Christians, because, because, We've got that inheritance waiting. We are looking to Jesus coming soon. We know that the trial of our faith worketh patience. Because of all that, when we stay focused, okay, if we're gonna fight for the Lord, we're gonna earnestly contend for the faith, we're gonna have to cinch it up in our mind. We're gonna have to focus on what we think about. What you think about, you'll do. What you think about eventually becomes who you are because it will develop into patterns, into habits. Nothing that you ever do didn't first start in your mind. You've got to be so careful with what you focus on. Listen to me tonight. What is important to you? What is most important to you? Is Christ just a little part of your life or is Christ your life? Now, as a Christian, because of everything that came before verse 13, because of that, we need to gird up the loins of our mind. We need to take this stuff seriously. We need to remove any distractions, just like we're about to fight the devil, just like we're about to run a race patiently for the Lord. We need to gird up the loins of our mind and focus on what Christ would have us focus on. Look at 2 Corinthians in your notes, <coughs> chapter 10, verse three. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Just what that means is this war that we're in, it's not something we're gonna get a physical sword for, it's spiritual warfare, which if you look at the whole armor of God, the two offensive weapons there at the end of Ephesians 6 are prayer and the sword of the spirit. Those are the only two attack weapons that we have. The word of, or the, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, the word of God and prayer. And so that's our uh, warfare. And here's what we're trying to do. Verse five, casting down imaginations. If you can imagine a tower, there's an enemy, we're gonna cast down that tower. There's imaginations in our mind that are bad for us to dwell upon, right? Now, all of us have a bad thought from time to time about somebody, about something, but you can't let it stay there. You have to cast it down. And every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought to the obedience of Christ. You and I are to bring every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now you think about that. Is every single thing that I dwell upon pleasing to God? Is every single thing under that knowledge of God, subservient to the knowledge of God? If not, we gotta cast it down. Cast down everything that exalts itself. We have to gird up the loins of our mind. But so many times what gets in the way as we're running this race, uh, the, these loins, okay, these robes flapping around, we're worried about what other people think about us. We're worried how we'll be perceived. 
We're worried about getting our own way. We're worried about how we can be more comfortable, how much stuff we can buy. And the distracted Christian cannot fight. The distracted Christian cannot work. He cannot serve. He is not good in that army of the Lord. Isaiah 26.3 says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Tonight, is there a part of your thought life that the Lord does not control? If so, we have to gird up the loins of our mind. we got to cinch it up. Romans chapter 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. That's everything. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So in this call to sobriety, we have to gird up the loins of our mind. Next in our verse, it says, be sober, be sober. Now, if I were to ask you what sober means, there's really two definitions. The first one is what we'd all probably think of, not intoxicated, all right? So uh, be sober, that, that is what that means. It means to uh, not be drunk, not uh, be doped up, and you shouldn't drink and you shouldn't do drugs, all right? So I'm an anti-drug, anti-alcohol pastor, and you should be sober. But here's why. Because of that second definition, it means to be controlled. Now, when you take these substances or you have some kind of addiction or something, you lose control. You surrender control to that substance or that addiction or that stubborn habit. But Christians should be sober. They should be controlled. They need to be serious about the things they need to be serious about. First Peter 4, 7, it says, the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. You know, if you've ever been around a drunk person or uh, somebody who's, who's been on any kind of drugs, we, we happen to be, let me get my bearings here. Yeah, right over there, the, the, the wine vault, is that what it's called? The wine vault. If I stay here too late one night and I get caught up in study and I go out here too late, there are uh, people several nights now um, acting a fool, carrying on back there in the parking lot. And, uh, and, you know, it seems so cute on the Andy Griffith show when Otis Campbell stumbles in, but it destroys lives. That stuff is wrong. That stuff is not good. Don't be deceived. Uh, whosoever is deceived by that is not wise, the Bible says in Proverbs. And, and uh, when you are, are a part of that, when you're not sober, you have given up control. And somebody who is not sober, just as a matter of practicality, they are not really useful. If somebody breaks into the home of somebody who's not sober, uh, they can be taken advantage of, they're vulnerable, they're, they don't know exactly what's going on, they're weak, they're disoriented. And you and I, when we are drunk on the things of the world, I'm talking about the passions of the world, the temptations of the world, the things that the world offers, more money, comfort, promotion, whatever it is, whatever it is, even uh, acceptance of other people at church, just uh, vain glory, being a man pleaser, making people happy. When we're drunk on that, we are no good. Our, our effectiveness is lessened. It's just the same as being drunk on some kind of substance, not being sober. As Christians, we need to gird up the loins of our mind and be sober. We have to be serious. Why? Because Jesus is coming soon. I just read in 1 Peter 4, 7, the end of all things is at hand. Be therefore sober and watch under prayer. We don't have enough time to waste on frivolity. We don't have enough time as Christians to give to nonsense. Our life is just a vapor, everybody. It's just a vapor that appeareth for a little time. You go outside when it's cold 
and it was cold today. Can I get a witness? And you go outside and you breathe out that warm air. It might swirl around for a little while if it's cold, but eventually it's gone. And at the end of your life, that's what it's going to feel like. We were watching Shark Tank, all right? We like to watch Shark Tank. That's just about the only thing we watch right now. And uh, how many of you know what Shark Tank is? Okay. Well, for those of you who don't, it's just entrepreneurs come on to rich people, pitch an investment, and they might give them money. That's Shark Tank, okay? So uh, we were watching that and somebody came on, a lady came on and she introduced herself and she had all of these accomplishments and she had all of these degrees and uh, I hope I'm, I don't embarrass you here, Kara, but uh, she said all these things, which are all fine things, nothing wrong with any of those things. But then Kara said, and I'm just a mom. And she said it funny, like, I'm just a mom, you know, and she was just being cute and all that. And I said, I guarantee you at the end of your life, they were about the same age and her life, uh, at the very end, she won't care about any of that. She'll wish she had done more with and for her family. That's what it's all about. It's all about what you've done with the Lord and what you've done with the relationships in your life at the end of your life, you know? And so there's, there's no time. And I'm just, I'm saying, put things in perspective. If you understand that the Lord is coming soon and he is coming soon, and you understand that you will get rewarded for your faithfulness and what you've done for the Lord in the name of Christ with the right motives, then you don't have time to dilly-dally around. You might think, well, I think I'll take a, a, a break from serving the Lord in ministry. I'll take a year off. You don't have time for that. You, don't have to, you will not care one little, little iota about all the little extra things you might've done and all the money you might have and money's fine, all the houses, you have, the houses are fine, but that's not gonna matter when you see Jesus. It will only matter what you did for the Lord. So Christian, put aside this nonsense. Put aside this sin, this stuff that maybe is not really bad, but it's not best, that's hindering your walk with God. Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. Look at the next part. Verse number uh, 13. And hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, hope is your outlook on and attitude towards the future. Jesus Christ coming again, that's our blessed hope. Hope is not something we're wishing towards. It's something we know is going to happen. It's based on what you believe about the future. Now, for the Christian, it's the same as, as faith. Now, remember from verse number three, we have a living hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we have a living hope. Jesus is alive. Therefore, we know we shall live with him forever. And yet, how many of us as Christians act like we've got a dead hope? I like this song we're learning in choir. I like them all, as was pointed out tonight. But resurrection power, raised to live forevermore in resurrection power. The chorus goes, I don't serve a dead Savior. I don't have a dead faith. He's alive forevermore, brought forth from the grave. There's victory for the claiming every day and every hour, raised to live forevermore in resurrection power. And yet, some of us, uh, aren't excited at all about going to heaven. We're not excited at all about serving. We serve grudgingly. Like, well, I've got to do that. I love to see the people that come here and, and vacuum. There's, there's some here tonight and they're, they're just so excited about serving the Lord. Anything they can do for Jesus, they are excited to do. Why? Not because they're going to get uh, called out at church and, and get an attaboy. Really, they could get a lot more attaboys in the, in the workplace or whatever. They do it for the Lord because they're excited to see Jesus one day. We have a hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And when we know that Jesus is coming, when we look ahead, it puts things into perspective. There are some things that I think, well, that looks a lot more fun than this. I know God says that's not really best, but it looks more fun than this, and maybe it is in that moment. But when I don't look at just today, 
But I look at what's coming, that hope, that lively hope that I have, this doesn't look so good anymore. When I think about that day, when I look Jesus in his face and I give account for what I've done in my body, whether it be good or bad, according to, I think, 2 Corinthians, uh, then this doesn't look so good anymore. It doesn't look so interesting, not so <clears throat> attractive. Number two, number one, there was a call to sobriety. <clears throat> number two, a call to obedience, a call to obedience. Verse number 14, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. How many of you uh, have children? Raise your hand. How many of you uh, have ever been a child? Okay, most, most of us, okay. Uh, um, I, I was not always an obedient child. Um, when I was in um, seventh grade, I very nearly got expelled for accumulation of demerits. And most all of them, it was just one little thing after another. Um, a, lot, a lot for talking in class, a lot for sarcasm and disrespect. Um, and I was just a little, a little brat there in seventh grade. When I was a junior, I did get expelled from, from school. But that was because uh, we went on a basketball trip to a college and I jumped in the fountain while on that trip and I embarrassed the school and broke the fountain. And so I got dismissed from that. Uh, and so there have been many times in my bringing up years that I was not an obedient child. I, uh, I pity, looking back, my poor teachers. I wasn't always bad, but um, more mischievous, high energy, if you can believe it. Um, and so, but when, when I have my children now, okay, don't get any ideas, Noel. all right? <laughs> Speaking of, Noelle, there's, there's one to watch. Um, no, she's a very, very good girl. All my kids are. Uh, when, I, when I look for obedience, there's three things. There's three things to accomplishing obedience successfully, okay? First one is obvious, doing what you're told, doing what you're supposed to do. Second, doing it right away. And third, doing it with a right spirit or a good attitude. If you uh, obey, but you don't do it right away, did you really obey? All right, Joy, time to go. Two, two or three minutes later, she gets in the car. Is that really obedience? Not really, okay? Uh, two or three minutes later, or I'm sorry, right away, she gets in the car, but she does it huffing and puffing, <laughs> rolling her eyes. Is that obedience? Not really, okay? Because we look for doing what you're told right away, with a good spirit. That's what we would expect from a child. Anything else, we wouldn't say, that's an obedient child there. And you and I, as Christians, we have a heavenly father, and we are supposed to gird up our minds, uh, loins of our mind, be sober, look ahead to Jesus coming again as obedient children, okay? When I was a child, and I, would, I wasn't always bad, okay? But when I, would, when I would obey, I didn't necessarily want to, Right? If a child only obeys when he wants to, we wouldn't say that's an obedient child either because how, how often does a child want to obey, right? Time to go, time to put your toys up, time to leave your friends. We're going, no, they don't want to do that. But if they're an obedient child, they will. An immature child only obeys when he wants to. A maturing child obeys when he's told. And as Christians, as obedient children, you and I need to do what we're told regardless of our feelings. You and I get in a lot of trouble when we follow our feelings. And, and, and Christians do that. They do. And they fall into this trap of, I, I just feel like this is what I ought to do. And, and they'll even pepper this in, I feel like the Lord wants me to do this. And you gotta be real careful with that, okay? Because the Lord will never lead you to do something that's contrary to the Bible, ever. 
ever. I have this affair going on. I just feel like the Lord, nope, 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 nope. That's impossible. The Lord will never contradict himself. You gotta be real careful with your feelings. An obedient children, and we're just children of the king, obedient children, if God says to do it, yes, sir, right away with a good spirit, hoping to the end. We're excited to do it. So as obedient children, there are many things uh, that we'll be tempted with. We'll be tempted to fit in with the world. Uh, uh, We'll be led by our feelings. I don't feel like going to church. Uh, This particular kind of music makes me feel good. It dishonors God, uh, but he'll understand. I feel like drinking. I feel like getting back into drugs. I feel like fitting in. I feel like I'll be in a bad mood today. I'm mad at everybody. I feel like I don't get what I deserve. I want my way. That's rebellious kid stuff. That's not obedient children stuff. Romans 6 in your notes, when we were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death, but now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. Look in verse 14 of 1 Peter 1, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. So that means fashioning is, is creating, building, building yourself. You know, everything you think about, everything you do, you are building your character. You're building your testimony. Not fashioning yourselves, okay, children, children of the king, according to the former lusts in your ignorance. Back there, when, when you were unsaved, maybe before you got saved, you got saved as an adult, there were some things that you did that you're ashamed of. Actually, when you're a saved person, you still manage to do some things that you look back and you're ashamed of. But those things that you look back on that are not profitable, those sins, not fashioning yourselves that. He's saying, saying, guys, church, you're saved. Why would you go back to that stuff that Christ delivered you from? That's what he's saying. That is so ridiculous. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves again, uh, according to the former lusts in your ignorance. You think about this, Matthew chapter seven, Jesus said in your notes, therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and do with them, so you obey what Jesus said, you obey the word of God. I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. Uh, we visited a house, or not really visited, we uh, toured a house that was for sale, and it was sort of a flip fixer-upper, and we, we kind of liked it. it was a few weeks ago, and um, we saw the potential. Actually, I saw the potential. I don't know why the gentleman seems to find more potential in a house than a lady, uh, but I said, we can get rid of the smell. It's okay. There's potential here, and uh, we can rearrange the whole house and recarpet and all this paint, but she, she was a little skeptical, and, uh, and I, was, I was sold until we got to the basement. When we got to the basement, we looked at the walls of that basement and there were cracks. There were things falling off of the walls. The floor looked a little sketchy. And I said, okay, there goes our remodel budget. Oh, I don't know what a foundation would cost, but I'm not ready to pay for it. And Jesus said, if you hear the sayings of the Lord and do them, that's like a wise man building his house on a rock, his life. The rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell not for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not, okay? That would be like you tonight hearing what the Bible says about a subject and saying, nah, I'm not gonna do it. So this is what happens. This is what you're like. Shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rains descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Um, we used to live in California. We, we met in California. Uh, at, at college out there in uh, Los Angeles County, uh, West Coast Baptist College, a good school. I was listening to Paul Chapel preach this last week. Good preacher. I'm glad we went. And uh, but but they will always have disasters, and you'll see on the news wildfires, 
uh, mudslides. And if you drive through particular portions of Los Angeles, you'll see these mansions built on the side of a mountain. And when you see it, you, you have to wonder what, I mean, no, nothing against them, but what are they thinking? Because eventually it's going to rain a lot. It will. And eventually there will be a mudslide. It is going to happen because things don't grow enough there. The vegetation doesn't hold the soil together. So when a lot of rain comes, as it has the last week or two, there's just mudslides all, all over the place. And for you to hear what God says about how to live, how to be separated, holy, gird up the loins of your mind, be focused on Christ, look to the end of Jesus coming, you say, no, 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 I'm gonna live for self. Here's what you're like. You're like somebody who spends all his life and time and resources building this mansion on the side of a dirt hill before a monsoon comes. Great was the fall of it, Jesus said. Great was the fall of it. We need to understand that we need to keep our minds focused on Christ, and we need to live godly, separated lives pleasing to the Lord. Okay, so you might be asking yourself here tonight, okay, that's fine. How godly do I really need to be? What is the standard? I don't want to be like weird, okay? I don't want to be like super godly, like totally like, okay, when I walk in the room, you know, people kind of stop and look and, and stare. They do that to us anyway because we have all the kids and everything, but I don't want to be super weird. I don't want to stick out exactly how will I know when I'm godly and separated enough. I'm so glad you asked because there's the answer right here. Verse number 15, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it's written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Number three in your notes, a call to holiness. Now, wait a second. If I'm reading this right, and I think I am, this means that we are to be as holy as the Lord is. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's pretty holy. So that means, wait a second, we are to be just like the Lord, the standard for our living, for our behavior, for all of that, it's not the pastor or, or Mother Teresa or whoever you, I don't know, whoever you like, I think is a nice person, but don't follow Mother Teresa. Anyways, you look, look at somebody, oh, that's whole. If I can just be like that person, who are we looking towards? It's Jesus. God said, you need to be holy because I am holy. Now, wait a second, let's back up. What does holy mean? What is holy? Holy means righteous, pure, sinless, godly, which means godlike, complete, separated, different. That's what holy means. Did I put that definition in your notes? Did I? Okay, good. So look at those words right there. This is what the Lord is, and this is what we're supposed to be. Righteous, pure, sinless, godly, complete, separated, and different. In the Bible, there are many things that are described as holy. God is holy, obviously, over and over again. Things connected to God are holy. For example, the ground around the burning bush, when Moses encountered that in the wilderness, uh, the Lord said, put off the shoes from off thy feet for the place where on thou standest is holy ground. That's because it's where God was. The temple was holy. The holy of holies, obviously, was holy. The mount where Christ was transfigured, we saw this morning in Second Peter, Peter said it was the holy mount. The covenant with Abraham was holy. The scriptures are holy. So anything associated with God becomes separated and different from other things. Okay, you with me? Follow me. They're distinguishable. The church is holy. Uh, Israel was described as holy as a nation. The church is holy in 1 Peter 2, 5. Wherefore, uh, are ye also, you're in holy priesthood. 1 Peter 2, 9, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, an holy nation, a peculiar people, 
that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Do you see that? Because you are saved, because you're a child of God, part of the church, you are holy. And it says here in 1 Peter 2, 9, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises. In other words, you have got to be separated unto the Lord to bring praise to the Lord as people. I'm talking tonight about being holy as Christians, about being separated from the world and unto God. The Bible also teaches us that your body is holy, your body. 1 Corinthians six nineteen. what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. I'm saying that you'll never get to a point in your life where you are good enough. Now, you don't need to beat yourself up about that. I've done well enough today. It's, this is what we should do to be holy. It's to look at Jesus as our example. We look to Jesus coming. We look to Jesus in the scriptures. We keep our minds on Jesus. That's how we gird up the loins of our, our mind. That's how we're sober because we understand all the time Jesus is preeminent. He must increase, but I must decrease. That way, we'll always be looking for, does this thought bring glory to the Lord? Am I doing something that would bring praise to his name? Am I doing something around these other people? Could I very easily slip into a gospel presentation or would it be weird because we are so far from the gospel in our conversation right now? Am I in a place where if I started witnessing to this person beside me, they would receive that? Or would they say, are you serious? This is not the place, this rock concert, this bar. Are you serious? This is not a place for this, man. You are out of your element. Am I the kind of neighbor that if I invited my neighbor to church, he would laugh in my face or he would say, yeah, okay, I appreciate that. Uh, my testimony has, has, has lowered my effectiveness for Christ so much. Here, here, here's how you can fix all of that. Not by focusing on your behavior so much as focusing on Christ. There's a call to holiness. Verse 15, but, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Conversation is your lifestyle. That means that every part of your life should reflect the holiness of God. There are so many times that we will segment our lives. Like Sunday is God's day. And Sunday is a good day to set apart for the Lord. But you know, you as a Christian, uh, we, don't, we, we don't have a Sabbath day. Sabbath was a Saturday. It's a seventh day. We, we're, that's, a, that's a law thing. We as Christians, everything is Christ. Everything belongs to the Lord. Sunday is not God's day and Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Those are my days, everything. So, so everything, be ye holy in all manner of conversation. That's every single part of your life. You and I are so good at this. We will say, uh, I'm so good for the Lord, but there's this little closet of my heart that God can't open that door. There's this part of my life, Lord, I'll do anything for you except this. This I have reserved. Well, you're not surrendered. You've not surrendered your body, a living sacrifice. You've not cast down every imagination. You've let something exalt itself above the excellency, the knowledge of Christ in your mind. You've got to cast that down. You've got to gird up that loin of your mind, okay? We need to be sober in that area. Be holy in all manner of conversation. Verse 16, because it is written, be ye holy for I am holy. Uh, it's all over the Bible, especially the Leviticus 11.45, for example, I am the Lord that bringeth you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. Ye shall therefore be holy for I am holy. Holiness is a command of scripture. 2 Corinthians 7.1 says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, 
Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now, let me give you a motivation here. Verse 17, here's the grace of God that wouldn't just demand holiness, but he incentivizes it. And if you call on the Father, who without respect every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. Did I cut out just now? I did here. I'll switch to this one, number three. Um, For as much uh, as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your father. So because you're on your way to heaven, because Jesus is coming again, and you know he's going to bring his rewards with him, you should pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. Fear there, that doesn't mean you're terrified of Jesus coming again, because if you're saved, verse 18, you're, you are under the blood. You're not good. Those sins will never come up again. Those sins and iniquities, God remembers no more. What's that judgment? That is a rewards judgment. That's the judgment seat of Christ. You can read about that in the references I put in your notes, 1 Corinthians 3 and 1 Corinthians 4 and 2 Corinthians 5. I put one verse in your notes, 5.10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. One day we will see the Lord face to face and we will give an account for what we did. And those rewards that we get, we'll be able to cast those crowns back at his feet. And and none of the things that you and I get so hung up on right now and so argumentative maybe about uh, and and get so hypercritical of others about and gossip and complain and and uh, and fight for my rights and 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 all of this stuff and it's not going to matter. It's not going to matter when we see the Lord one day. We will only wish that we had done more for him. We'll wish that we had been more pleasing to him, been more separated unto him, and been holy like him. Tonight, let's recommit our lives to personal holiness because the Lord commands it.